Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Uh, This evening's reading starts off in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. So I'm going to jump to verses 29. 51, that's page 68 in the Pew Bibles, will then end up in 1 Peter 1, verses 17 to 19. But we'll start off in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel, on the tenth day of this month, Each man is taking a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animals, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who is in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, 
for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There are about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honour the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have bought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Turning to 1 Peter 1, verses 17 to 19, which is on page 1226. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thanks Pete and good evening all. It's great to see a few people who don't recognise. It would be lovely to meet you at the end. My name is John, I'm one of the ministers here uh, and lovely to welcome you. We're going to look at those uh, words together and I wonder, as we begin, what, when do you feel most free? What things bring you freedom? Freedom is, in, one of the way, in many ways, one of the big kind of watchwords of our culture. Being free to do what we want, whenever we want, in whatever ways we want. That, in some senses, is, is one of the things that is most prized in our society. But I guess our question this evening is, is that true freedom? Is freedom really found in doing whatever we want, 
whenever we want, without any constraints. The Bible's message is all about freedom. But it's, it's radically different, and I want to say to us this evening, infinitely more wonderful than the kind of freedom that's so prized by the culture around us. We're going to see three things about this kind of freedom uh, that the Bible speaks of this evening. We'll see them from uh, those words that we read, mostly from the start of um, Exodus chapter 12, um, and then also from those words in 1 Peter. We're going to see that in Christ we can be set free from the righteous judgment of God. We can be set free from the enslaving power of sin. And we can be set free so that we can worship God with the whole of our lives. So set free from the righteous judgment of God. If you look with me at Exodus chapter 12, the opening six verses, and maybe just have a finger as well in 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll come to that as well. So the opening six verses of this chapter uh, tell us that the people of Israel, they were to get a lamb ready for sacrifice. Uh, Here's our lamb over here. You might have seen him earlier on. Uh, And God gives us very specific instructions for this lamb. Uh, Actually, in verse 5, God tells us it can be a a, a sheep or from the goats, but we'll call it a lamb. That's the shorthand that we get here. Uh, And God says that these lambs, they need to be males, year old, uh, without any kind of defect. That means without any obvious physical kind of uh, issue with them, blemish, which would make them unfit to offer to the Lord. And perhaps you can already hear echoes in that of what the Lord Jesus would come to do. Maybe you spotted how he's described in that other brief reading that Pete brought to us, 1 Peter chapter 1, where it says that Jesus is a lamb without blemish or defect. So here's this lamb. They would have inspected it carefully uh, to check there were no uh, physical defects. I can confirm this one is blemish-free. And uh, again, we might remember that, that Jesus is described as being inspected, as it were, not, not for physical issues, but for, but for his moral purity. We're told that, that when he was accused before Pilate, Pilate said this of him, I find no basis for a charge against him. The book of Hebrews describes Jesus as one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. And then in 1 Peter, a lamb without blemish or defect. So as Jesus was condemned to die that first Good Friday, it was as a morally pure, wholly innocent human being. Well, verse 6 continues the instructions for the Passover. Take care of them, that is the lambs, until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now, I did think of illustrating this by getting a large saw um, and having a go at the head over there, uh, I thought it would be too distressing for all of us. In fact, when I was uh, in my teens, I had a youth camp and we, were, we had talks, uh, great talks on the book of Exodus. And the speaker at one point got a cute, uh, cuddly toy lamb um, and then he lopped off its head with a pair of scissors. And I tell you, there was this kind of collective, oh no, poor lamb moment. And I think that that's what we're meant to feel as we read this. Here are these one-year-old lambs, unblemished lambs, being sacrificed on behalf of the people, and we're meant to feel that. Poor lamb. Well, how much more we're meant to feel this sense of, of the weight of the Lord Jesus, this morally 
pure, unblemished Son of God, willingly going to the cross. Well, for us. The prophet Isaiah predicted what would happen to the Lord Jesus hundreds of years before in these words. He said he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So why? Why the the lambs? Well, verses 12 and 13, on that same night, God says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be for you a sign on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. God says he's going to bring judgment on Egypt. Why? Well, because of their their sin in, in rejecting God, in sort of pushing God out of their lives in favor of false gods, and also for oppressing the people of Egypt, this cruel slavery that they've endured for year after year. But here's the really striking thing. It's clear that the people of Israel also needed saving from God's righteous judgment. I wonder if you noticed, I didn't notice this before this week, but the first nine plagues that we looked at last week, uh, the people of Israel, they weren't in danger in those plagues. We're told that the plagues fell on the people of Egypt, on all the parts of the land of Egypt, but not on the area where the Israelites were. But here in chapter 12, the people of Israel, uh, they are not automatically safe from this final plague. That's why they're commanded to, to put the blood on the doorposts of their houses. It's so that God would pass over those houses where the blood was and, and not bring this death on the firstborn. So they needed the lambs to die in their place. Why? Well, because they, like the Egyptians, were also guilty. Guilty of rejecting God. Guilty of trying to live life without God, just as the Egyptians had. We're told in Ezekiel chapter 20 that that God had warned the Israelites in Egypt against uh, their idolatry, their turning to other gods, And he said to them, each of you, get rid of the vile images you've you've set your eyes on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God gives a clear warning. And despite that, here's how those verses continue. But they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. In other words, the people of Israel were just as guilty as the people of Egypt of rejecting God. They had also refused to allow God to be God. They they turned to other gods. They too had had kind of pushed God out of their lives, uh, lived how they wanted, without reference to him, however they wanted, whenever they wanted, whatever they wanted. And that is so serious in the sight of an utterly just, utterly perfect, utterly holy living God that he deserves his righteous judgment. That's why they needed the blood of the lamb, so that they could be rescued, set free from the righteous judgment of God. And that's why you and I need the cross. That is why Jesus' death over 2,000 years ago, that first Good Friday is such glorious news. Because through it, we can be rescued. Rescued from the righteous judgment of God. You see, you and I, we're guilty in the same way that the Egyptians, the Israelites, were treating God as if he were not really God. 
We're happy to enjoy all the good gifts that, that God gives to us in his good creation. Yet all the while we reject him, the good giver of those gifts. We try and live as if we were God rather than him. And so we do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want it. And that is so serious in the sight of this, this infinitely holy, infinitely perfect and good God that he deserves his righteous anger and judgment. Now, you might struggle, uh, I have at times, with this, this idea of, of God's anger and judgment. And that could be because we think of God's anger as if it's human anger. See, as people, I know I do this, we, we easily kind of fly off the handle with each other. We, we kind of lash out when our pride is wounded. And we, we imagine that that's what we might mean when we say that God is, is angry, gets angry, or, or that he judges. But God's anger isn't like that. God's anger is, is his righteous, his proportionate, his good response to all that is wrong in the world. It's good that God gets angry like this. You don't need me to tell you, we, we live in a world of, of so much injustice. It's, it, it's in the news all the time. Uh, it's in our lives as well. Some of us may have been deeply wronged by something that's been done to us. It might be in the past, but the memory of that lives with us very kind of viscerally almost. It's raw and it's painful and it is good news that those things haven't escaped God's notice. The promise of the Bible is that all wrongs will be righted in the end. But that also means that left to ourselves, it's not only that others have wronged us, we've wronged others. At times we've treated others unjustly and even more seriously, all of us have wronged God. Rejecting his, his rightful claims on our lives, kind of pushing him out of the picture of our life. And so God could justly have, have condemned each one of us. And what does he do? Instead, he, he sends his only son into the world. Jesus is described in John's gospel as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Jesus, he willingly dies in our place. He dies on that cruel cross, the perfect, innocent, righteous son of God, the lamb in our place. He endures all of that so that you and I can be set free from the righteous judgment of God. And that means that this Easter might be an opportunity for, for us to just kind of marvel and drink in and dwell on this love again. Because we might have known Jesus for a while, but my sense from conversations with lots of us is that many of us kind of feel way down at the moment. Way down, kind of washed out, broken up, jaded. And if that's us, then can I suggest what will help us most this Easter is just to dwell again. Dwell again and delight in Jesus' cross. That he goes willingly as the Lamb of God to death for you and for me. It might be that you feel unloved, even unlovable. I know I felt that at times. And, and what I need, what you need, is to marvel again at Jesus, 
this holy, innocent lamb of God taking away our sins at the cross. Because when we look at the cross, when we, when we dwell for a while at the cross and see the Lord Jesus hanging there for us, we can't really look there for long without realizing just how loved we are. None of us is, is unloved, unlovable when we look at the cross. Or perhaps you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus. And if that's you, you're not currently safe from the righteous judgment of God, but you can be safe. You, you can say sorry to God for pushing him out of your life. And he promises that if you do that, he'll forgive you. Jesus died in your place so you can be truly and eternally safe, so that you can be truly and eternally free set free from the righteous judgment of God. There's a second picture of freedom, too, in this passage. It's, it's a picture of what happens when we're set free from the enslaving power of sin. Here's what happens after God sends this Passover judgment on the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. Do look with me. Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and says to them, Leave my people, you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord your God as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and go. And so God brings them out of Egypt just as he promised. Verse 40. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. So finally the people, they've been, they've been set free from this terrible slavery, from all that oppression, that hard labor, from all that groaning. And remember how we've said that, that in the, the Exodus in the New Testament is, is a picture, a symbol of how Jesus' followers have been brought out of spiritual slavery into freedom. That's why I chose those verses from 1 Peter 1, because they speak so clearly of, of how when we've trusted in Jesus, we've been set free, set free from the enslaving power of sin. Do, do flick over if you can to that passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I'll read them again. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you have been redeemed, set free from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Notice what Peter says we've been redeemed from if we've trusted in Christ, redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us. He's talking about the way the world around us lives. Before we trust in Christ, it's like we're following our ancestors, he says, our ancestors and everyone around us in ignoring God, pushing him out of our lives. And Peter says that's, as it were, an empty way of life. It's a life of, not of freedom, but of spiritual bondage. Verse 14 says that, that the life of a person before they trust in Jesus is it's the evil desires we had when we lived in ignorance. And actually he spells that out even more later in the letter. In chapter for he writes this, speaking of believers, that they, we, do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. Peter's saying, the way that we used to live before we came to Christ, that was spiritual slavery. It promised so much, but in reality, it delivers very little. 
In reality, it holds us captive. And spiritual slavery is actually even worse than physical slavery in Egypt. Because left on our own, we can't do anything about this spiritual slavery. We, we were, as it were, doing whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, however we wanted. But wonderfully, if we've trusted in Christ, if we've been set free from the righteous judgment of God, if we've been made free in Christ, then, then we've been set free from that spiritual slavery. And knowing that that's true, that can really help us in the Christian life. When we, and I think this happens for all of us, we're reminded of the sin that we continue to struggle with. And sometimes it can feel like we're, we're kind of trapped in those sins. Again, there were times in my life I felt like that, where I've, I felt like I'm trapped. And just in conversation with some of you, I know that can be the experience that we feel like. But actually, we're not trapped. We were trapped and enslaved in our sin before we came to Christ, but we're not anymore. We've been set free from the enslaving power of sin. So here's how that helps us. It, it stops us from, from thinking that our ongoing sins are what define us. Our sins are not what define us. Now we can remember that we are precious, we are loved. We're redeemed people of God. That is how God sees us if we trust in Christ because Jesus, the Lamb of God, he paid the ransom for our sins. So God doesn't, doesn't look on you. If you're a follower of Jesus this evening, he doesn't look on you, he doesn't look on me and write us off because of the ongoing sin in our lives. No, no he looks at us and he's completely accepted us because of the work that he did on the cross. He's welcomed us into his family. And knowing this, it helps us also to see that, to stop thinking that patterns of sin in our lives are, are somehow out of control. It stops us from worrying that we'll, we'll never be able to break out of those patterns. See, although we won't be perfect until Jesus comes back, we, we really can grow more and more like Jesus throughout our lives. Uh, the same Peter who wrote these words in his second letter writes that God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. He's saying that we, we already have everything that we need to live a godly life, to grow more and more like Jesus. It comes from our knowledge of him. In other words, all that we need to, to know in order to live a godly life is found in the Bible. So the Bible speaks very specifically of, of the sins that we struggle with, and it gives us help to fight with those sins. But, but we can't effectively fight them unless we know what's there, unless we arm ourselves with the knowledge, the promises, the things that God's word speaks to us in moments of temptation. So we have everything we need in the Bible, and we have everything we need through the Holy Spirit living inside us through his help. And that means we're not trapped. When we feel trapped in patterns of sin, we can remember we're not. We've been redeemed. We're no longer slaves of sin. And that is, that is really hopeful. It means that you and I really can change. We really can become more like Jesus each day. And that brings us to the final brief thing we'll see this evening. We've been, we've been set free from the righteous judgment of God. We've been set free from the enslaving power of sin. And we've been set free with a purpose. Set free to pursue whole life worship. See, the Israelites weren't only set free from slavery, 
They were also set free so that they could worship God in all of their lives. God had told Moses back at the burning bush in chapter 3 that that was why he was going to deliver the people. God said, I will be with you. This will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And so that's why God says to Pharaoh through Moses, let my people go so that they may worship me. That word worship also means serve. In other words, God had, he had in mind more than just worshiping him through song or sacrifice. God was bringing them out of slavery so that they could worship him, so that they could serve him with every part of their lives. And that is exactly why God has rescued us. If we've trusted in Jesus, that is why he's rescued us from spiritual slavery. See, he didn't just rescue us so we could we could continue to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. No, he rescued us so that, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin, but instead that we would joyfully serve him. Because all of us are serving at least one master. Either we're serving sin or we're serving God. And that first kind of service that we've seen, service to sin, it's a terrible bondage. But the second sign of service, service to God, it's wonderfully liberating. That's because when we, when we live to serve God, in every part of our lives, we're actually living exactly as God intended us to live. And that's a place of freedom, of genuine freedom. That's a place of joy, a place where we realize that, that love and obedience to Jesus is, is just what we were made for. You see, the most free people in the world are not actually those who, who do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. That's slavery to sin. No, the most free people are, know that, are those who know they belong to God. And so they, they live their lives in joyful obedience to him, knowing that is the best way to live. That's the way he intended us, he made us to live. As we come to a close, I want to just read a, a beautiful statement of, of Christian doctrine from the time of the Reformation. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. A catechism simply means a set of questions and answers that, that help believers to, to grow more in their love for God. And here's the, the first question and answer uh, in that catechism. Question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. If we're followers of Jesus this evening, we can, we can say, we can live out those words with confidence. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. We've been set free from the righteous judgment of God. He set me free from the tyranny of the devil. We've been set free from the enslaving power of sin. And I belong to him. 
His Holy Spirit makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready to sit, live for him. In other words, we've, we've been set free to pursue worship of him in all of our lives. So as the band come up, I just want to ask, is there a part of your life that you are not giving to him in worship? Do you worship him with your, your Monday to Saturday life, not just your Sunday life? Tonight can be a time for us to commit ourselves again uh, to serving him with every part of our week, every part of our lives, knowing that that is the best place to be, the place of freedom, the place that he, he made us to be. But as we commit ourselves to him afresh this evening, we're going to sing uh, this song, which, which picks up on how Jesus came to be our Passover lamb, the one to die in our place. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.